Hello and welcome to an episode of Stolen Droids Presents. I'm your host, Zoner, and we are here tonight with a very special guest, the comedian. You know him from Last Comic Standing, or maybe just from hanging out in Salt Lake Comedy Clubs or other comedy clubs. Marcus, thank you for joining oh, us, sir. Oh, my pleasure. This is fun. So, yeah, we're... Um, very honored to have you. This is, <laughs> this is awesome. Oh, you know, it, it's funny though because they asked me tonight when I when I was checking in before the show, getting my tickets and whatnot, and I asked. I said, "Okay, so I'm going to be interviewing Marcus after the first show. How do I how do I go about this?" And they said, "Well, have you ever met him?" <laughs> the answer was yes, but he doesn't know it. Oh yeah, you actually sold me a laptop computer. Yeah, I used to work for PC Lab years ago. Yeah. You sold me my first laptop. Thing blew up on me. I don't blame <laughs> you. You know, <laughs> excuse me. You know what's funny is that the thing that I got most out of PC laptops is I, I was a very good salesman. I think you kind of have to be that way to be in comedy too. Um, but I actually ended up for the latter part of my st- stay there. I uh, wrote. Um, most of their radio ads and I actually did a bunch I, I would do all the impressions and the ads and then when they opened Bikini Cuts because it was the same company I did all the ads for Bikini Cuts so it actually was a it was a, a real um, exercise in writing and uh, some of the earliest comedy bits I ever wrote came from coming up with those commercials oh really? yeah because I would do little things and they kind of gave, gave me um, freedom to you know do different impressions and voices, and then I would build those into some of my earliest impression bits. In fact, some of the stuff I did on Last Comic was a direct result of of, of that writing process. Oh, cool! Yeah, yeah, I was I wasn't aware of that. Now I remember as I, I think you had to load Windows or something on my computer. Your texts were your texts were doing it. And I was there sitting at the desk for like three hours, and we were just talking. You were you were talking to me about how you wanted to be a fighter. Really? You, you were doing MMA or something, cage fights at, at <laughs> all the whims of a twenty-year-old. In, indeed. You know so, what? I, well, back then, when I was in my twenties and and uh, whatever, I remember that Club Ninety. Uh, I think it used to be. I think it was Sandy Station. Sandy maybe? Station. One yeah. of those two. They used to do. Boxing glove fights uh-huh. And I did a couple of those And I punched some dudes But I'll tell you uh, I'm far from a fighter uh, I'm I'm I, I've never really been in a fight uh, I, Yeah I don't think it would have Gone very well for me <laughs> I have small bones I, I've met some fighters I met Tito Ortiz And he shook my hand And My Up to my elbow Was enveloped In a hand Of steel And fire Like it It was forged and his jaw was mad. You couldn't, if you punched it, my whole, it would just break like a piano. You know, like when you uh-huh. get hit in the accordion and you walk away after the <laughs> piano drops on you in the uh-huh. cartoon. I'm, I'm a brittle bone person. I don't think I would have done very well. What a fool I was. <laughs> this is a much better thing. Well, yeah, so I was going to ask, so how did you get from selling computers <laughs> to stand-up comedy? Tumble down. Stand-up comedy, and then all of a sudden you're... Your famous last comic standing and and what you know right now. What it was was it was kind of a really weird chain of events. Uh, this is exactly how it happened. The, the, the bare honest truth. I, I when I was working for PC laptops, I met some guys. Uh, I would go out and karaoke. I love singing. You saw the show, and, yeah. and I love singing. And I would do these things. And somebody came along and said, "I know some guys who are looking for a dude to be in a band." And I remember saying, "I want to be in this band. It's going to be a lot of fun." And uh, uh, you know, let's um, 
formed this up and I told PC Laptops who I worked for at the time and I told them about this and they said well you can't do both because what if you need to sell a computer when your band has a gig and I was like you people are stupid because I don't have to sell anybody a computer at 11.30 on a Saturday and so they weren't happy with me being in a band so I quit my job to be in a band at 20 whatever the hell I was and it was very uh, irresponsible and then the band thing went well. We were good. We released an album or two uh, locally and performed all at all the clubs. But then it really became about drugs, not music. And I ended up getting to a really bad place with, with drugs. And to get out of it, I started hanging out at radio stations. I'd met radio people through... Um, my band and I started keeping myself busy by going down to the radio station and I would hang out um, with Mick and Alan on K-Bear they'd let me write bits and do voices and just funny little things behind the scenes and over time I would meet a bunch of comedians and one day somebody said you should try doing what you do on stage and I said I don't know about that I don't know anybody's going to want to see what I do and I went down uh, he talked me into it that night I went down met Keith Stubbs and I did some of my stuff and he said if you come back Sunday I'll give you three minutes I said, great. I came back and I did it. And he go, come back Thursday. I'll give you three minutes again. And I, from that point on, I was in Wise Guys at every night it was open. And I found that you couldn't do drugs and you couldn't drink and you couldn't do all the things that were really dangerous and really damaging to my life at that point um, when you were doing comedy. Because you needed to be in a good place to write from a good place. I think when you write from a dark place, it comes across very bitter. And you get oohs and ahs and not laughs. And you had to find... The, the, the joy in your life I think that's what a good comic does They don't think what's funny And talk about that They think what do I want to talk about And they find the funny in it And so I had to find the funny in my life And for me I did a lot of voice stuff And then once I started getting a little more personal in my writing I think that's when it really took shape for me And, and I think over the last few years You know I've, I've really kind of grown in the beginning I was just an impressionist I think now I've proven that I can do stand up I can do voices we we literally tried to just I mean uh, the show you just sat through that's a condensed version of that music show and I don't know another person on this planet that can do what we just did um, <clears throat> but that's the thing is that it's also how do you get anybody to notice yeah you know, and that's where I'm at now is that I, I feel like I'm in the most productive most um, creative part of my life I'm doing the comedy I'm doing the music show I've got a pilot that I filmed um, that we've actually pitched and we're actually in production on episode 2 right now and, and these are all things that that I could have never done had I been on the path I was and so for me I really think that uh, comedy saved me more than anything it made me so I had I had to keep that joy in my life and I've from from the day I decided not to touch anything, I remember it was a. I woke up from being up for four days on a coke binge. I uh, had drank two cases of beer and smoked four packs of cigarettes in a matter of a couple days. And I woke up. I said, "This is not working for me," and I quit everything cold turkey. And I've never touched a drink, a cigarette, a drug ever again since. I, I won't do it. I take nothing into my body. And I found that that between that and and comedy, the positive direction that my life has taken. I mean, you, you couldn't do that if you were taking those type of things. And so for me, it's, it's really a, I don't know, a lifesaver, if anything. That's cool. That's cool. So you mentioned that, that you showed up at Wise Guys. They gave you three minutes. Uh-huh. Did you show up on open mic night the first time? And I actually got up on a show. Nick Tyson was the comedian. I'll never forget it. And he was this road dog been around for a long time and I did my bits and he goes you're good kid you're you're good you know he did voices too he's very funny voices and I remember thinking like that was cool and then I would I would hang out at the club I remember one of the first opening gigs I ever got to do big show 
um, was Harlan Williams comes through town all the time, and he was coming in, and I, mean, I was so excited to meet uh, Harlan Williams. What a what a treat! This guy's so fantastic and funny, and we're all kind of sitting in the back of the the. The club, and this was back in the day when any given night at Wise Guys, there was thirty comedians standing mm-hmm. around, and all the guys were in the back. And I was fairly new at the time, but I was I was doing well. And the lights go off, and the old Wise Guys Scatman music kicks on, and we're all in the back. And Keith Stubbs, the owner, is walking across the club. The lights go, and the disco ball, the lights are down. He's going across to announce the show, and he just walks by. And as he's walking to the back to announce, he just looks at me and goes, Marcus, you're hosting. All right, ladies and gentlemen, here's the sh-. And I literally just had to take my jacket off, center myself, and go up. And I just, it, and I remember it was packed. There wasn't a seat left. And when you were out of that club, like 350 people, that place is rocking. And I got up there, and it was, it just made sense. I just knew how to do it. I'd been on stage with bands, and I'd done different things, and I'd been in radio, but I just knew how to hold that room. And it was at that point that I just went, I never want to not do this. And then I got very lucky. I, I won a couple. I won the Rocky Mountain Laugh-Off, which is something the Wise Guys sponsored. That introduced me to people like Jeff Dye from Seattle. And that got my word around Seattle. That got me the Seattle Comedy Competition. Winning that, the guy, Ron, who ran that, managed Kristen Key, who was on Last Comic Standing. So because I won something here that someone was at and got to go to Seattle... This guy calls me and goes, do you want to audition for Last Comic Standing? And I'm in the game like three years, and that was my opportunity. It was just this series of little things of just being in the club all the time and and meeting people, and it just kind of happened. And So for me, I'm just a lucky dude. That's all it is. I mean, I've managed to keep my head above water, and I think Uh my work ethic reflects that. But to, to be honest, I'm just a lucky guy. The only difference between me and anybody else is that... I was ready when somebody picked up the phone and said, can you do this tomorrow? You know, and that's that's the only difference because those opportunities are there all the time. We just kind of got to grab them. That's awesome. So what was Last Comic Standing like? I'm sure you've been asked that a ton over the years. It's but trip. what, you know, all of a sudden you're playing local clubs and winning yeah. some local competitions. And, and then, then boom. It's yeah. weird. That's the, that's the easiest way I can describe it because you do so much of it before it airs. You know, we filmed all the way up to where we were at the top five before the live stuff. I mean, we knew everything. We lived in the house in March, and we my audition was in January, February. The first episode didn't air till May, and that was the stuff that I'd done in January. So when I'm watching this, it was more like, I remember that. Oh, that's what they're showing. Oh, that's the joke they used. So I was watching it from, like, my old home movies were on, and it didn't occur to me that people were seeing this. Uh-huh. <clears throat> like... Like, I understood the credit. I understood that I was on a television show. But it wasn't until we went back to Vegas for the live thing. And before, when we were there for the semifinals, nobody knew who we were. We were a bunch of no-names. You know, there were some guys who had great comedic reputations, but we were treated like we were stars because we were on the show. But I didn't... I was... Nobody knew me from Adam. Yeah. And I, I could walk around, you know, the Paris, which is where he filmed everything in Vegas, and nobody knew me. And then we go back for the live show, and the show's been on, and we are catching up, you know, the show... The, the, the episode that we filmed in March had just aired and it was going into the live stuff the following week and we were back in Vegas for the live audience vote and I remember walking around the corner of the thing just sitting there and my you know having my jacket on walking to the thing and 
come around the corner and there's a line of people and I'm like, this is pretty cool. And it just, Marcus, oh, crap, it's Marcus, Marcus, we picture Marcus. And I was like, how do these people know who, oh yeah, the show's on TV. And it didn't occur to me. And then you're on a bus and, and, and it's very easy to let your head kind of get taken away that it, it's it's because of who you are. Uh-huh. But it's not, you know, and that's the thing that you kind of have to realize. And that's why I don't think, that, you know, I never wanted to move to LA or New York. I wanted to make sure that I was the best that I could possibly be in every aspect of what I wanted to do. And being here, I've got connections with radio and to television and uh, broadcasting. I can I can film things. I can try different things on stage that I'd never be able to do. And so I feel like now uh, I'm just preparing for whatever the next opportunity is. But uh, but yeah, I love it here and I love the opportunities I've gotten. I can't believe people still show up like this. Well, Isn't that you, crazy? It, it's awesome. You, out. you do a show great fun. show. You do a great show, man. Well, and you know, I, I think I've seen you. I think I've seen you three or four times now. Mm-hmm. And I remember when you were up in Wise Guys in Ogden, mm-hmm. and you were the MC for the evening. They weren't yeah. even giving you that. Yeah, giving you the headliner. I and see a lot of them. it's you know I, I'm sitting there and I I knew that I knew you because you sold me the computer right but I didn't know where from it, it <laughs> took I think it took me a couple of years to put two and two, two, and together. two together and then finally it's just like oh crap that's where I know it from but I see you up there and you're doing these Seinfeld impersonations oh yeah I remember that and and then I think you did some Star Wars ones too and those old voice bits were silly and there's just no writing that's the thing is all you do there's that people ask me on impressions all the time. And I go, well, you only have two. You got you got a couple different things. You can be Kevin Pollock or, or say, Jim Brewer. And you can do impressions, but you tell stories. Like when Jim Brewer does stories, it's not Jim Brewer saying, what if Tracy Morgan was here? He be, he tells the story. Like, I'm hanging out, man. It's me and Tracy, man. Mm-hmm. I'm like, Tracy, what do you want to do? He's like, I want to go out south for a watermelon and a midget. <laughs> and he tells the story. So the, the impression happens because he's telling the story. You can't... If you don't have those ties, then you have to just kind of invent them, and you can really only do it by saying, "What if, what if Tracy Morgan was a this thing? Oh, I'm a dentist. Let me pull your teeth." Like you can't, yeah. you know what I mean? Like you have to find new ways. And for me, I don't want to keep going up there and doing the same impressions in the same ways. And even if you learn new impressions, like I said, there's no guarantee anymore that they're going to have a shelf life of more than a year. So. Yeah. It's, it's really been one of those things that I had to kind of reinvent. I had to find a new way to do it. And I think timeless music is a way to do that, singing the impressions and, and finding them, while still being able to fit in very stock, hacky things like Sandler and Walken, and you please the masses with, with being able to do, you know, you throw Walken in there and they love it. They enjoy the impression. It's funny when you do it for them. And so it's a good time, but you're not just doing it for the sake of doing it, saying, what if Walken was here? You know, you, so you have a way to be able to kind of get into it organically when uh-huh. you're not forcing it. Yeah. Uh, you know, that's actually one thing I wanted to ask, talk to you a little bit about is your show with Guy Sadell. Mm-hmm. How did that come about? I mean, you know, I, I've seen you doing this, the musical impressions in your act just by yourself, you know, throwing some Pearl Jam and, right. and some uh, Tenacious D. Tenacious and, D we used to do. Um, and then... <laughs> <It's key. laughs> We're fucking rocket! But now... <laughs> but now all of a sudden, you know, you've got a company up there. You've mm-hmm. got a full-blown show of musical impression. And I got to tell you, I felt like I was back in high school with half those stuff. We're about the same age. Yeah. And, you know, hearing some of those old old rap songs that you're doing and how did how did you come to the decision this is what I'm going to do and this is how we're going to keep the impressions 
fresh and it was just it was looking at the world you know and it was looking at all of the stuff that's out there I think you know what it kind of came to was when I realized like I sing a lot of karaoke when I do it I sing like people and I think I was watching America's Got Talent and that the the guy that won it is the black dude with the dreadlocks that sang like Frank Sinatra uh-huh. and I remember thinking to myself alright this guy is basically doing an impression of Frank Sinatra he's not singing he wasn't singing the songs in his own style he wasn't Michael Bublé in them or Harry Connick Jr. in them he was singing the exact cadence and rhythms of Sinatra and I just would watch it and I thought well now if he was a musical impressionist if he was singing that and saying I'm doing an impression of Sinatra you would say that wasn't very good you don't get to win but because he was just interpreting Sinatra through his own voice I think, he wins the show so I looked at that and I went okay well let's take this for what it is I can do Sinatra I can also do this and this and this and this and this so we started thinking about all of the people I could sing like and originally I tried doing the show with karaoke tracks that had been edited together but it was really vacant I, mean, I, I feel it was just icky to think back on because I didn't like it I would get up there and you'd sing and it was like a performance it wasn't interactive but me uh-huh. and Guy have like a connection I've spent so much time on, with him on the road we've listened to each other's iPods from backwards to forwards we know every song that each other has all the embarrassing stuff we've sang together in the car finding harmonies and doing stuff together and it was just kind of a thing where I just went well, why do you do it and he was able to learn over a hundred songs on the guitar some that have never been put to guitar I mean it's really hearing him play China Girl like he interpreted that overnight it was amazing to watch and so we would just kind of put these things together and found a narrative that told a story and that's really what it came down to was just us trying to uh, trying to tell a story through music and pay tribute to the stuff we loved you know the stuff that really made sense to us Sounds like they're getting ready for you soon. See yourself now. What the? Thank you, people in the audience. (laughs) Now you you did a couple songs. Um, Lionel Richie, Sting, right? Um, Stevie Wonder. (laughs) Holy crap! Do you get dizzy when you're doing that? That impression was so good. You've got the head swinging. That made me dizzy watching. My wife leaned over and said, I'm getting dizzy just watching <laughs> this, this thing. Yeah. You know what's funny about it is that I look at it like this, man. Uh, when I sing that, like, I think a good impression takes you in the moment. How long is he getting? About 10? Yeah, that's pretty Okay, that's cool. I'll be done at 5 and change that. So. When, um... <clears throat> I think when you sing that song and you really take that moment, like you kind of have to be there, you know? I mean, you kind of have to put yourself in the position. When you're doing an impression, people always say that. It's not just the thing, you know? Like walking. I mean, we just talked about him, and he's a very stock impression, but he's good because he's got all of the things you want in an impression. He's got hand motions, eye, face. So when you're doing him, it's not just doing the voice and making a sound like Christopher Walken while you're doing something else. Yeah. In the moment, in the eyes, in the hands, the, the way you breathe, the way you hold yourself, your shoulders change, everything about you changes, it's different. That's the thing, is if you don't go to that place, if you're not there, why do it? And so when you sing the song, to me it's the same thing. If you're singing a sad song, you're singing something that's longing, even if you want to make it funny, you want to get there in the voice. <clears throat> it's just the same thing. You just add the impression to it. I mean, if I'm going to do an impression from a movie and I'm going to do it angry, I don't have to get angry. I just have to I have to, I have to, to find the place and the voice and the tone. You have to find that moment. And then you kind of, I guess it's an acting thing, if you will. But it's just, 
you you want to pay tribute in the in the most honest way you can, and I just think it's it's about like kind of just taking yourself and letting the song because they're good enough to just stand on their own and let it just come out of you. Uh-huh. Yeah, I mean, vessel is really all it is. Well, you you do do that very well. So, and your Neil Diamond impression, I almost peed. <laughs> I got to, I have I've not laughed so hard in a club. I like the very Neil long Diamond time. when he starts he stops singing and just starts talking. Now you are coming along, all right. <laughs> hands holding hands, and you're like Neil. You need to sing at least two words in every song. Exactly, exactly. Now, when you're up on stage, I, I notice occasionally, you know, you'll chuckle or whatnot. Mm-hmm. Do you ever just make yourself flat out <laughs> laugh while you're up on stage? At times, I've said things through me, even, and uh, and you try to remember them and do it again. It's it's. It's silly nonsense, you know? I mean, that's really what it is. You can't ever take it too seriously. You gotta have fun. That's that's the best part about it is I get to have fun, you know? I'm looking forward to going back out there. It's not not really... I don't want to complain. I'm not saying my job is hard. I never would. I'm I'm the most grateful person in the world to be able to do what I do. There's a million other things that are harder. As much as people go, it's so hard to get up in front of people. No, at the end of the day, if you can get up in front of people and just go, talk funny for... And that's all I do. It's ridiculous. It's stupid that this is a job. But, but it's not I, I guess it's taxing To do two shows Back to back Especially when you Leave it all out there And you do so much um, And so But I love it I really look forward to it I, 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 I'm happy to go back out there Because I really enjoy Seeing people be, be affected by it And when you do Like something like The music show And seeing people oh, I love this song Or hearing them go Wow that sounds like it To me that's That's an awesome reward you know? That's really cool Sweet Now you've got Some other projects That you're working on Yeah Um Ghost Hop, Ghost Hopper, Ghost, ghost Hopper. Yeah, it's uh, what, what is Ghost Hopper? <laughs> well, that's another thing that I saw on TV and thought I could do that. <laughs> I do that a lot. Um, I love ghost shows. I love paranormal, and uh, I've watched all the shows, and it seemed like the equipment was getting easier to get. Uh-huh. I mean, it, it, like it was more readily available, and it wasn't terribly expensive. And I would see it, and I I just watch these shows and go, well, if these guys can just to have this box and walk out and talk to a ghost, then why can't I? Uh-huh. And, uh, you know, and so I bought the equipment and I went out and the first night I went out I had a full on conversation with something we got it on film and I'd ask questions and it would answer me and it would talk to me and it was all this interesting stuff and I thought well that's interesting let's try this again so we went out hunting again and I managed to get all of this stuff and all of this evidence and these all these shots and all these things and I kept thinking well look I'm watching these ghost shows this guy gets at orb at EVP and that's his whole show yeah I, I went out I just got 29 orbs a 26 minute EVP I got am I good at this I don't know I mean why why shouldn't I do this and so me and a couple friends got together and thought to ourselves well let's uh Let's go ghost hunting and put together a show. And we went up uh, to Ogden's 25th Street and spent spent a night on there. And, and um, I'm going to change. I hope this isn't a big deal. But we went up there and spent a night up on 25th Street. And it was a lot of fun. And uh, we did a bunch of... Um, Got a bunch of evidence, and we actually edited it together into a really fun show. And uh, right now we're shopping that around, and we're hoping that some people... Um, buy into it, because quite frankly, I, I think it's good. I mean, we have a... The idea is, is that most of these ghost shows just take themselves too seriously. Uh-huh. It's like everything they get is, this is proof that this ghost is a... No, it's not. It's not anything. It's an orb, and you don't know what it is because you're an idiot human being, and you can't know. So don't say you do. Don't even try to speculate. It's cool. It's not dust. It's not light. It's not something I can explain, but it's not 
you don't need to read into it so much. Just have fun with it. Uh-huh. It's a fun hobby. And so we go out and instead of approaching it from such a douchebag point of view, we approach it from a much easier, fun point of view, even while going into some of the scariest places that you can imagine and getting real scary ghost interaction. We just don't take ourselves very seriously. I don't mind looking like an idiot. Okay, cool. Really yeah, do. so 25th Street in Ogden. I actually... My office is 25th Street up in Ogden, and I did a we did three locations up that. My 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 building is haunted. It's listed like all over as haunted. So uh, I yeah I can imagine you have some fun up there. So, but it looks like they are getting ready for you here. Yeah. So we'll wrap it up to go out. But thank you very much for coming on with us. Thanks for letting us come see you tonight. All right, I gotta go. So, all righty. Well, okay. I'll thank see you, you guys. very much, Marcus. <laughs> and that was just a dash out that we've never experienced before. Marcus is now out on stage, so we're gonna call it a night here. And thanks for listening. Good day.